Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Search for Truth. It's great to have you with us. Our series is called Once Saved, Always Saved, and our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, is showing from Bible evidence that our Christian salvation is absolutely secure. Today's study shows how all believers belong to the church which is called Christ's body, and that church is indivisible. So, let's hear from Brian. Thanks, John. Do you remember, as a child, putting your face above a headless frame that was painted to represent some kind of muscle man or clown, perhaps? Perhaps it was at a seaside location while you were on holiday with your parents. Many of us have had our pictures taken in that way. And what makes those pictures humorous is the fact that the head, our head, doesn't fit the body that's painted on the board or the frame. Now, that has led someone to ask a rather thought-provoking question. If we picture Christ as the head of the body of believers, would the world laugh at the misfit? Or would it stand in awe of a human body so closely related to its divine head? Hmm. Well, before we go any further, let's make sure we understand more accurately, and that means more biblically, the terms we've already used somewhat loosely there in talking about the body of believers and Christ as its head. This is, after all, at root, a biblical illustration or metaphor. Listen, for example, to what the Apostle Paul says right at the end of the first chapter of his letter to the Church of God at Ephesus. And he, that's God, put all things in subjection under his, that's Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. So here we have a church being described as being in some sense Christ's body. But you may well ask, which church are we talking about? We'll allow the Lord Jesus himself to clarify for us exactly to whom he applies this label of the church which is his body, which, as we've already seen, is a direct biblical quotation. We'll pick up from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, some very famous words spoken by our Lord to the disciple Peter, along with the others. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. From that, as supported by other references to it in the Bible, one of which we'll come to shortly, from that we understand that this church, which Christ calls his church, indeed you remember his words, I will build my church, this church has built into it everyone who, like Peter, confesses Jesus as personal saviour being the Christ, the Son of the living God. All believers, since the time of Christ, irrespective of whether they are now dead or still living, each who has professed Christ as God's Son and Saviour is a member of this church. This church will be complete when Christ returns and takes it to himself. Just a moment ago, we talked of any true believer in the Lord Jesus being now a member of Christ's church. And I think that talk of membership is common enough language and is already understandable. But since this church is the one which is being represented biblically as a body, 
The talk of us being members of it takes on a heightened meaning when the Apostle Paul begins to expand on it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He starts by talking about our human body as an analogy for Christ's church and says in verse 12, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. When he says, so also is Christ, we should be reading that as, so also is Christ's church, or so also is Christ's body. It's at that point Paul jumps across from dealing with our human body to talking in terms of the spiritual body of believers. In other words, Christ's church. And we should say again that this is all true, born-again Christian believers, regardless of their denominational affiliation. Paul goes on to tell us how we become members. He says, verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. When we compare that with what we've already learnt about being built into this church, Christ's church, which is at the time when we profess Christ like Peter, we see that many things happen when we believe in Christ as Saviour. It's then that the Lord Jesus, in fact, baptises us in the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, that is, his church, Christ's church. Every believer or every saved person is a member of the church, which is Christ's body. So now Paul continues, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honourable, on these we bestow more abundant honour. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honour to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers... All the members suffer with it. If one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. Interestingly, this section of the Bible is often quoted to emphasise the unity which would be seen or should be seen to exist between believers, and to ward off any feelings of inferiority which some may entertain relative to other more prominent Christians who have more high-profile gifts, shall we say. But actually, the Apostle Paul is here emphasising diversity of function, albeit a diversity within an overall unity. And also, he's reacting against the expressed superiority of some Corinthian believers. On that last point, perhaps a further illustration is helpful. In March of 1981, 
President Reagan of the United States was shot by John Hinckley Jr. and was hospitalised for several weeks. Although Reagan was the nation's chief executive, his hospitalisation had little impact on the nation's activity. Government continued on. On the other hand, suppose the garbage collectors in that country went on strike, as they did not long ago in Philadelphia. That city was not only in a literal mess, the pile of decaying trash or rubbish quickly became a health hazard. So a three-week nationwide strike would paralyse the country. So you could reasonably ask, who is more important, the president or a garbage collector? In the body of Christ, seemingly insignificant ones are needed. As Paul reminds us, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, let's sum up what we've been revising, or perhaps learning for the first time. When a person professes faith in Christ, as Peter did, he or she is built by Christ into this church, and is in fact baptised by Christ in the Holy Spirit into that church which is known biblically as Christ's body. This is the Lord's action, and whatever God does remains forever, according to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14. And in this case, this is confirmed by the stated fact that the greatest known power could not overpower Christ's church. We should check that again. It comes from the Lord's words in Matthew 16 verse 18. Here they are once more. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Did you get that? After confirming his identity to Peter while at Caesarea Philippi, Christ proceeded to state the glorious purpose he was about, namely building his church, comprised of all true believers of this age of grace, from the cross to the so-called rapture event. Then he added that nothing, no power, not even the greatest power known to the ancient world, the power of death and the underworld, no power could defeat this great divine purpose. Psalm 16 verse 10 prophesied that Christ's soul in death went down into Sheol, or Hades, the realm of the dead. But the same disciple Peter says in his preaching to the Jews in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus couldn't possibly be held there in death, but that God raised him up. If God had not raised up Christ from the dead, if the gates of Hades had not been forced to yield for him, then this great church-building purpose of the ages would have been overpowered. But it wasn't, nor could it be. Praise God for that. Surely this fact of the gates of Hades and death not being able to overpower Christ's purpose in his church precludes any such notion as the dismemberment of a single believer from that body, that church. Who's going to mutilate or maim Christ's body? And that in turn brings us this week to yet another way of saying once saved, always saved. Our place in the body of Christ is absolutely secured at conversion. Through the baptism in the Spirit which takes place automatically for each believer as they receive Christ, we are incorporated eternally into the body of Christ which must ever remain without any defect whatsoever. So many lines of Bible teaching converge on this point of our security in Christ that we may have total assurance of it.
Thanks, Brian, for today's teaching. If you'd like to study this subject in greater detail, then there's a transcript booklet available, which covers the whole of this ten-part series. If you'd like one or several for group study, ask for the title "Once Saved, Always Saved." You can contact us by email or by post, and here's the address: Search for Truth, P.O. Box seven zero one one five, Chilomani, Blantyre, Malawi, and the email address is sft at churchesofgod. Info. You can also find a selection of past programs and other helpful material on our website. If you want to access it, go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. So that's all for today. Next week will be program eight of this ten-part series, when Brian looks again into the Bible and finds an aspect of salvation that we can lose. Yes, we can. Lose. So, if you're curious to know what it is, then please join us if you can. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So, goodbye for now, and may God richly bless you.